Stop me if you've heard this one. A man, usually a man, is driving down a road one night. It's raining. Probably. Probably raining because that makes things more spooky. Alternatively, it's a clear night, eerily clear and quiet, maybe with some fog or mist licking at the edges of everything. Fog and mist are spooky too. But our driver, let's call him Otto, for the sake of clarity, is driving down the road. He might be driving through bad weather, uh, just as you see fit for your audience. When, all of a sudden, his headlights silhouette a figure on the side of the road. A woman. 99% of the time, the hitchhiker is a woman, and we can get into that later, is standing by the side of the road in need of a ride. Now, our auto is a good man, generally altruistic. Perhaps a little taken by the beauty of the lady hitchhiker, but generally acting out of the goodness of his own heart. So he offers her a ride. She gets in the car. Out of the rain, maybe? And Otto asks her the basics. Where she's going, maybe her name. Let's say she's called Christine, for storytelling purposes. Christine is going somewhere down the road, in about the same direction Otto's going, usually to her home. It's convenient for Otto, and more convenient for the storyteller, since it makes the story more straightforward. Otto agrees to take her there. After all, it's right on his way to wherever he's going. Most of the time, that's left pretty vague. Christine hops in the back seat, not the passenger seat, for reasons that will become clear later. They drive for a while through the still night, or maybe through the rain. Maybe they get to talking. If they do get to talking, Otto learns one or two details about Christine. Usually her name, and maybe a hobby, an interest, something significant that comes back around later. So they drive for a while, Otto and Christine. How long is a matter of regional preference. Could be a few minutes, could be an hour. If you're telling the story in an area with a lot of wide, empty stretches, then they might drive for an hour or so. But if you're telling this in a place like Hawaii, you won't find a lot of hour-long stretches of road to drive down. So maybe a half hour max? However long they drive, it's long enough for Otto to take his eyes off her. Maybe they get to a tricky stretch of road. Maybe they cross a bridge. Or maybe Christine just goes quiet for a bit. Sometimes, Otto gets all the way to the address Christine gave him. But when Otto looks back, or checks the rearview mirror, Christine is gone. You knew that was coming. It's also why Christine is usually in the back seat. It makes for a more believable disappearance than vanishing from the passenger side seat. But either way, Christine is gone, and Otto screeches to a halt, hopefully pulling over first, and checks the back seat to see if she's there. Surprise, she's not. And 
Otto starts to get a very curious prickling down his spine. Otto starts to wonder who exactly she was, or what she might have been. In most versions, Otto collects himself and finishes the drive to the address she gave him. Sometimes that address is a diner with a mysterious photo on the wall, or maybe the home of some aging parents. At either location, Otto was given the disturbing news that Christine died years ago. That's impossible, Otto usually says. I gave her a ride last night. You know, before she vanished mysteriously. Otto will share some personal detail that Christine provided, or maybe produce a scarf or a token that Christine left in the back seat, only to have the horrified diner waitress drop her pot of coffee, or the parents burst into tears. The scarf, you see, was Christine's. Oh, right. I'm Kari Clements. This is Trans Arcana, where we take a queer look at the supernatural. Today, we're going to talk about vanishing hitchhikers, the story itself, how it's structured, and where it's a little queer. First off, I want to acknowledge what's probably on your mind right now, and it's that I told the story wrong. And you're right. You've probably heard this story a little differently. In fact, I guarantee you've heard it differently. The people in the story weren't Otto and Christine, and the road was probably somewhere specific, maybe a lonely stretch near where you grew up. Maybe she vanished as they were going over a bridge, or Otto nearly crashed when she disappeared. It was snowing, not raining. It was a necklace, not a scarf. Christine wasn't wearing shoes. Christine was dressed all in white. Christine was actually the car. In fact, the version I just told isn't even my favorite telling of the story. In my favorite version of the story, Otto gives Christine his coat to warm her up. And when she disappears, he pulls over to look for her, but can't find her in the dark. Otto then returns when it's light out, only to find that the place of Christine's disappearance is a cemetery. And there, on a tombstone marked with Christine's name, is Otto's coat. I love that version. Personal opinion, but I feel like a good ghost story needs at least one grave for maximum spooky. But chances are that I'll tell the story a little differently next time. The same way you'll probably make some adjustments the next time you tell it. Truthfully, the details change every time we tell any story, especially scary stories. Any story is going to change over time, and this one has been around for over a hundred years. Basically, since vehicle travel from town to town became a thing, ghosts have been hitching rides too. Two folklorists, Richard Beardsley and Rosalie Hankey, have spent a lot of time trying to track down the origin of the Phantom Hitchhiker story. One of the earliest versions they found comes from Georgia, set in 1912. As the story goes, a young man was traveling via buggy on business, 
trying to reach a particular inn by midnight. It was a strange part of the state, and he passed by a copse of giant oak trees. He saw a woman standing at the side of the road. Her dress was light, but old-fashioned. Our young man immediately stopped and asked the young woman if she needed assistance. The young woman answered, and this is the part that always sticks out to me, that she'd been left alone in the grove and wanted to be taken home. The man helped her into the carriage of his buggy, noting three things. One, that there was a strange, unreal quality to the night, as if he were walking through a dream. Two, that the young woman was extremely light. One might even say, impossibly light. And three, there was a dark stain on her dress that he hadn't noticed earlier. The young man shrugged these oddities off, but the horse drawing the buggy was less than enthusiastic. It kept rearing up and twitching over the several-mile trip to the young woman's home. When they got there, her home was not what the young man expected. The woman's home was a ruined southern mansion. Overgrown and partly collapsed, it stood just beyond the trees. Massive columns, practically glowing in the moonlight, flanked a rotted veranda. And as he took all of this in, his passenger left the buggy. In the moonlight, the man could see the stain on her dress more clearly, a dark swath of blood soaking through the fabric. Before the man could form words or give voice to his shock, the young woman floated up through the air, up the steps, and through the door of the crumbling facade. Now reeling with the same shock and fright as his horse, the man drove his buggy up the road, going as fast as he could towards the distant inn. Could you blame him? When he got there, the innkeeper gave him a not-so-comforting explanation. You see, the hitchhiking lady that our young man assisted was the ghost of a woman murdered years ago by a jealous lover in a grove of oak trees. And on moonless nights, her spirit reaches out to travelers passing by at midnight asking for a ride to her old family mansion, now in ruins. What makes this story so scary? After all, it's not like the hitchhiker attacks the driver at any point. She's not malevolent or violent or really even a threat at all. She seems to be, at most, someone just trying to get home. True, she is a ghost, but is that all it takes to make a story unnerving? Just a ghost that pops in and then pieces out? Maybe there's more there. It could be that it's in the location of the story, however you've heard it told. On Route 66 or some lonely back road in Georgia, the bulk of the story happens in the middle of nowhere, and there's something a little scary about that. Maybe it's the isolation. Being miles away from the things you know is always a little nerve-wracking, and it's amplified when you're alone. 
that vulnerable feeling can make us more open to scary encounters. Or at least, more receptive to hearing about them. And that kind of makes sense, right? We don't like being alone, much less alone and out of our element. Towns are familiar. They're where we live. And they're full of people and places we know. Even unfamiliar towns are still towns full of people, with predictable places and buildings. The spaces between them, though, the long, empty stretches of road that cross the wild areas, with no houses, or people, or lights, well, those can get a little scary. And maybe even a little queer. Bear with me for a bit because I want to try to make a connection here. It might work. It might not. We'll see. So there's this queer writer, Jack Halberstam. He's written a lot. In particular, he's written some really great stuff on queer readings of monster movies and pop culture. We'll definitely come back to some of his stuff again. But for the moment, I want to talk to you about how Jack sees wildness. Basically, a lot of cultures have been on this ongoing mission to civilize the world around them. That means building roads and bridges and buildings and communities. But that also means civilizing themselves, marking boundaries, building barriers, and categorizing more or less everything. From rivers to people to jobs to genders, all of that is part of this act of civilizing the world. So basically, one aspect of civilization is that it puts everything and everyone in categories. Everything gets a labeled box that it goes into. And anything that doesn't fit into a box, people and nature and people's natures, those things are outside of civilization. They're wild. So if you've got a gender or a sexuality or just a self, that doesn't easily fit into a category, that's not just queer, it's wild. So this space where the story happens, where Otto picks up Christine, where the Georgian businessman picks up the ghost woman, that's a wild space outside of civilization. It's where expectations get disordered and things get muddled Actually, you can really see the conflict between civilization and wildness in the Georgia story. The man is carrying a lot of civilization with him. He's driving a buggy instead of walking. He's got a business meeting. He's trying to get to an inn. He's trying to beat the clock. These are all things that don't really occur in nature. They don't even really exist in nature, right? Carriages and inns and businesses and meetings? After all, nature abhors a businessman. And he's also traveling through a strange country. And we're not really told what that means in the story. But if we read that through Jack Halberstam's framework, strange might mean uncivilized or wild. There is, after all, a lot of nature in this stretch. Lots of moonlight, lots of trees, and even the trees themselves are a lot of tree. 
They're giant oaks, after all. And oaks can be pretty big to begin with. And it's in this wild space that structure and civilization start to lose meaning. Things get less stable. The businessman even notes that the world feels strange and dreamlike. And the dead hitch rides? Spirits float into the air? These are not normal things. They're not civilized. Maybe the most notable thing is the massive southern mansion that's collapsed and starting to return to nature. It's a house. The very thing people build to shield themselves from the wild. And it's being retaken by nature. There's a theme going on in this story, whether or not the storyteller intended it. And you can kind of still see it in the general version of the story, too. Otto is between towns, between civilized spaces, in a place that seems to operate outside of civilized rules. We sometimes call spaces like this liminal spaces. There are a lot of good Tumblr threads on this if you want to give that a search. And the more Otto engages in these liminal spaces, the more the rules of civilization start to break down. People disappear without a trace. The dead ask for rides. Real objects vanish and are inexplicably left on gravestones. None of this makes sense in a civilized world where we rely on categories, cause and effect, and concrete reality. Otto has slipped into a space that's less civilized, less orderly, and a bit more wild. And it's in this wild space that some gendered concepts start to fray. A first-hand phantom hitchhiker story collected by Jan Harold Brunvan highlights a different element of the story that's worth picking at. In this version, a man was driving down an old stretch of North Carolina Road in 1969. It was an early, early October morning, and our driver was still in the process of shaking off sleep, when a young girl came into view on the side of the road. She was dressed in a long gown, clearly in need of a lift. Our driver pulled over and asked if she needed help, like the story always goes. This time, though, our hitchhiker was a little more talkative about her situation. Her name was Mary, she said, and she'd explained that she'd been out on a date. But when her date got a bit too handsy, the young woman shut him down. Responding poorly, her date made her get out of the car and walk home. Our driver, clearly a moral step above her date, offered her a ride home and she accepted. In this story, the driver gets her all the way to her house, then hops out of the car to let her out. But when the driver opened the passenger side door, there was no one there. It was as if she'd vanished into thin air in the time it took for him to walk around the car. Confused, the driver went up to the house and rang the doorbell, looking for answers. An elderly lady answered the door, and when our driver asked for Mary, the woman at the door responded with two words. Not again. When pressed for more information, the woman elaborated. 
and Mary, as you've probably guessed by now, had died years ago. And our driver was the fifth person in the past eight years who tried to bring her home. At this point, I think it's kind of worth mentioning a common thread running through all of these stories so far. And it's that in nearly every version of the Phantom Hitchhiker story, both the ones we've talked about here and others, it's a male driver and a female phantom. And on top of this, the lady ghosts are always either A, young and pretty, or B, sometimes old and carrying some burden. And listen, I know it's easy to brush off patterns like this as that's just how the story goes. Because life's simpler when we don't go looking for explanations. But you miss out on a lot when you go through life that way. When we do go looking though, when we dive deep, we can learn some really interesting things. And in the case of these phantom hitchhiker stories, there's something interesting going on with gender, control, and fear. All of the iterations of the story so far start off with some pretty standard man and woman dynamics. Man sees woman on the side of the road and offers her a ride. Because to some extent, that's what a kind person would do. It's certainly what a chivalrous man would do. But let's pause really quickly and flip the scripts on the gender dynamics there. The story of the Phantom Hitchhiker is always about a guy giving a girl a ride. Because it doesn't work the other way around. A solo female driver pulling over to let a male hitchhiker into her car would read a little differently to us as audiences. In that we, the people listening to the story, would probably see that as maybe a bit unwise even without the potential for ghostly encounters. Let's be honest, if a horror movie started out with a young woman stopping to pick up a male hitchhiker on an empty road, how many of us would be yelling at her and throwing popcorn at the screen already? And I'm not saying here that only a male hitchhiker would be threatening. Women can be homicidal drifters too. Hashtag girlboss. But what I am saying is that the story has a particular feel because of the genders of the driver and the hitchhiker. Otto, pulling over to offer Christine a ride, feels like a guy being chivalrous. Olive, pulling over to offer Chris a ride, feels like a woman being unsafe. We kind of read Otto's decision to give Christine a ride as less dangerous for Otto. We assume, for a number of reasons, that he's in less danger from Christine than she is from him, and that he'd probably be able to defend himself should his passenger attack him. Again, remember that in all of these stories, the hitchhiker is a young woman or a struggling old lady, and that's kind of crucial to how the story works. Because of Otto's gender and Christine's gender, we automatically assume that Otto's in no danger from Christine. That he's not in a position for something bad to happen to him. He's in control of the situation. Part of the shock, or the turn in the story, is when something scary happens to Otto because he's not in control anymore. We don't expect that. Honestly, 
if Olive picked up Chris on the side of the road and Chris just vanished mid-sentence on the drive back? Well, that's not the worst way that story could have ended. By the way, what we're doing here, investigating the way gender plays a role in the story, or just examining it in weird and strange ways, that's often called queering a text. Anyway, what I'm getting at is that the story doesn't work the other way around, or at least the scare doesn't read the same. And part of that has to do with control. Who's in control of the story at a given point? What makes the scare hit and what makes the story land is that Otto's more or less safely in control of the drive for the first part of the story. The scare happens when he loses control. At the start of it all, he chooses to pick up Christine. He initiates conversation. He's behind the wheel. He chooses where they go. At any point, Otto could choose to stop the drive, kick Christine out, whatever. Otto is in charge of the story. When Christine leaves, though, Otto isn't in control anymore. He didn't decide to let Christine out. He didn't reach the destination of his choice. Christine made that decision. And suddenly, Otto's not sure what's going on and starts to question everything. And the world kind of breaks down around him because of this. His trip ends prematurely. The woman who was there suddenly isn't. And as the story progresses, even the categories of life and death blur. They start to collapse. After all, dead people don't usually hop into cars and ask for rides. TLDR, Otto was in control because he's a guy. And then, in this wild space, he loses control regardless of his gender. Being a guy doesn't automatically give him control anymore. So what we get is a story that delivers a scare based on the idea of taking control away from a guy. And ghosts. Not going to downplay the ghosts. Ghosts are scary too. You know this story. You've heard it a dozen times before. It might even be the first ghost story you remember hearing. And that's not super surprising. We, as people, have been telling this story for over a century now. Across cultures, across oceans, across generations. And when a story has that kind of hold, that much persistence, there is an inevitable question of why? Why do we keep telling this story? Is it just the pinnacle of storytelling? The best ghost story there is? Probably not. I'm willing to bet that most of you know a handful of stories that knock this one right out of the water. So why does it persist? There must be something about this story that, if you'll forgive the pun, haunts us. So we analyze. We dig into it. We look at it in as many ways as we can to try to understand why it so profoundly affects us. Are we just afraid of strangers? 
Afraid of ghosts that need a ride? Or is there something else in the story? Do we expect men to be in control of situations at all times? And we're unnerved when they're not. Do we fear the spaces that exist outside of civilization? The wild spaces where the world breaks down piece by piece and the dead ride beside you. We're not done with Phantom Hitchhikers, not by a long shot. There's so much more to cover, including ghostly taxi rides in Korea, eerie makeout sessions with ghosts, and sightings of Pele, Hawaii's volcano goddess, hitching similar rides. But for now, it's getting late, and we should wrap up. Today's episode drew from Jack Halberstam's book, Wild Things, The Disorder of Desire. Jan Harald Brunvan's book, The Vanishing Hitchhiker, American Urban Legends and Their Meanings, and Richard Beardsley and Rosalie Hankey's article, The Vanishing Hitchhiker, from California Folklore Quarterly. If you enjoyed this episode of Trans Arcana and want more of our mixture of queer theory and occult lore, you can follow us on Twitter at Trans Arcana. That's T-R-A-N-S-A-R-C-A-N-A at Twitter.com. And give your inner lady ghost a call. She misses you.